Today in the Attorney Career Advice Podcast with Harrison Barnes. People really feel that their resume is personal. It's the exact thing, last thing that they don't want to hear. People were suspicious of it. So why is this house been sitting failure for attorneys? They dabble and don't commit. I, this is the other day, I wrote this, but viewed a resume of a law student who must have worked in a law firm. This person for over a decade before law school had a very distinguished military career. It was very common. There's a lot of people that do this and had all these honors and other things that took up five pages of his resume and spoke to all these leadership activities that he was proud of. This is a great resume for someone to work for the, the army going or whatever, the military going to war. You'd certainly want that person leading you. But how is the law firm going to be interested in someone whose resume is five pages long and all it talks about is nothing about um, what it's going to do to help the employer? This is what a lot of res- attorney resumes do that are military, too, by the way. I don't know why. All this stuff is impressive, knowing how to drive tanks and do I saw one resume yesterday where the person said, it was a cool resume, but the person said they were a munitions trainee, then they were a munitions expert, then they were a munitions trainer, and then they were head of munitions or something, or maybe it was mortar, I don't know, but they took up the page. But you're not going to get jobs if you don't give your resume and speak legal work. You don't need to you don't need to list all of your summer internships or things that you did prior to law school or your all these groups that have no meaning to the firms. Like I was a member of the this political club, or I did this pro bono. No, your job is to go to work in a law firm and and basically talk about the practice areas. And most a lot of people really feel that their resume is personal. And they need to talk about what all these different things. So imagine you're trying to sell an ice cream bar and you walk in and you start saying, hey, I sell, I sell all sorts of things. I sell grocery, I sell lettuce, I sell this, I sell, I sell great, I have great selection of beverages here, like all sorts of sodas. And I also have this ice cream bar and I like ice cream bars, but look at all the other things I have for sale. If someone's coming in and they want to buy an ice cream bar, that's what you need to focus on. You need to focus on that ice cream bar. You say, I, I have this ice cream bar. I've been selling ice cream bars for 20 years. I'm an expert on ice cream bars, and I think this is the best ice cream bar. And this is what this ice cream bar is about. It's, it's got a you know, it's that white chocolate or white vanilla on the inside. It says you focus on what the person wants to hear. And that's all you need to do. And your resume needs to look the part of whatever the job is. You need to basically or whatever the firm does. If you're applying to a litigation job, that's all you should be talking about. And if someone hires you with a bad resume, you're probably not going to, you're getting a job that's beneath you probably. You're going to get paid less than you would if you talked about the work you do. And and sometimes having a bunch of things in your resume is going to make you look not committed to legal work. It's going to make you, that's going to make you look like you're interested in other things. Do you want the firm to think, you're extremely interested in doing pro bono work. Do you want them to think that all of your free time that you could be practicing law is dedicated to working in a soup kitchen? You, you have to think about how this stuff appears. You may think you're a good person for doing all these things, but that's not going to really, the, the law firm, it's a law firm that's looking for someone that can come in and do the work. And you have to tell the law firm that's who you are. You have to be very careful about how your resume reads. I will conclude this with saying you should watch all of the or some of the resume reviews that I've done on BCG. It will help you tremendously. You will learn a lot. You can watch webinars I've done about resumes or talk about resumes. But I would say that probably 75% of the resumes that I see are, are just 
too much all over the place. And I know the person's never going to get a job at their level. Uh, and this is another thing too. So people that come into BCG, if you apply to a firm, if you apply to a job or you send your resume to us, I always look at the resumes. Like I look at every resume that comes in. It's exhausting. It takes me um, a long time uh, to review them. And it's, it's something I very much enjoy. But it, you have to really study a resume. And I know the kind of people that are going to get a job. It doesn't matter, by the way, where you went to law school. It doesn't matter how prestigious the current firm is. It doesn't matter if you've had breaks in your work. None of that stuff matters if your resume is focused. So all I'm looking for is this person someone that looks committed to their practice area? And does your resume talk about that? That's it. And But unfortunately, that focus results in more than nine out of 10 people just, I don't work with them because how would I be able to place someone that says they do 15 different things? It's, but this is what most resumes do. And because I do that, we make a lot of placements, but it's all about your focusing your resume on whatever the job is. So an example would be if you're applying for um, a job doing employee benefits and you're at a firm and you do employee benefits and tax and maybe some other stuff. No, you talk about employee benefits. If you've got a LLM and tax, you talk about how you took some employee benefits classes there. Maybe you talk about if you did a summer, worked in a firm over the summer, you talk about not that you did corporate and litigation, but you talk about that you did employee benefits work. You make it all about employee benefits. If you've written some papers, like one about, you might write a paper about COVID-19 laws or something like that. No, you leave it off. If you wrote a paper about COVID law or not COVID law, employee benefits law, that's what you do. So you make everything about that practice here because this is who they want to hire. That's it. They don't care about all this other stuff. And I'm telling you this, by the way, as someone who's been doing this uh, 12 hours a day for the past quarter century. So this is what it is. I'm not making this up. I'm, I'm not prejudiced. All I care about and all employers care about is you having a focused resume. Now, there's a couple, uh, there's a couple exceptions to that. Sometimes in uh, smaller markets would might be like Milwaukee or it's not even that small of a market, but maybe Grand Rapids, Michigan or uh, Finley, Ohio. Like the firms may not have enough local business to have people to focus. So they may literally have you do corporate and real estate and that's okay. But most of the jobs you're going to be applying for in most markets are going to really, they're going to require someone that, that is focused and has a focused resume. So if you're applying for a job that needs corporate and real estate, uh, you talk about that, but you sure as hell don't talk about the fact that you did a personal injury case or something on your resume. You make it about what the person needs. That's all they care about, by the way. They're just looking for, they're looking for focus on what you do. If you start doing really stupid stuff, like putting keywords and writing long summaries and talking about all these jobs that are uh, relevant to your practice here, everyone's going to hire you. It's just how it works. Or you're going to get hired way beneath uh, what you're doing. So I'm saying this and I'm being adamant about this, like applying to a lot of places, having focus on your resume, because this is all you need to do. And these are the two major things that will get you a job. And I'm sorry to drone on and on, but this is the biggest mistake that almost everyone makes. So you need to do that. The next one is your interview skills. So interview is something that is very difficult because people don't like criticism. Most people, I remember I was not the greatest interviewer. I, when I was in college, by the way, I had great grades and doing really well, and but I would go and be, I interviewed with probably 20 uh, private equity firms, investment banks, anybody that's awesome that you can imagine. And I didn't get singled out. I got a couple callbacks, but not 
a single job. What was I doing wrong? I'll tell you what I did wrong. It's pretty funny. So I'd written a book about the city of Detroit and how there was all this racism and how all these problems that were caused by big companies and, and how. So I would go into these interviews and people would ask me about it. And I'd drone on and on 10 minutes about how interesting the study was and everything. And people would just be like, listening. And then after the interview, that I would say, good luck and wouldn't get a job. That's about the dumbest thing I could do if I'm trying to get a job in an investment bank to crunching numbers. That's the exact thing, last thing that they don't want to hear. And I did that in every single interview, very dumb. So a lot of times people will go into interviews and they'll talk about how they're interested in, I don't know, something that's completely irrelevant, some topic that's completely irrelevant to, uh, to, to practicing law and not the sort of thing that people in law firms do. So people in law firms are certain types of people, which you should understand, and they don't, they're not interested in a lot of fluff and things in your interview. So there are attorneys, by the way, and law students who literally go into every interview and ace them. Meaning I've got people that go in and I talk to them, you got an interview here, no problem. They go in and get the job every time, no matter where. And then they say, maybe I don't like this firm because of this and this. And they're so self-confident, they know they can get every job. Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do. And one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, you're not gonna find them on major job boards because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only list jobs that companies pay to post, we include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. I have people like this, um, a lot of them, by the way, are from big cities like L.A. and New York. I don't know uh, why that is, but I think they just maybe the environments make them more polished. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't matter. There are people that go in and bomb every interview, too. Like they just you get them they great qualifications. You get them like 10 interviews and, and everything just bombs. I had one candidate years ago that I ended up placing the big firm, but the firm called me after the interview. If you send anybody like this again, we're not going to work with you. There's people that get really bad. What do the best interviewers do? They do the same thing uh, that you have to do on your resume. They focus on what the company, what the employer needs, the resumes focus, and then they talk about that. So if the firm uh, you want to work for focuses on municipal law and, and land use there, you go in and you talk about how much you like that and, and how you want to do that. And then, and then you make the people you're interviewing feel good about themselves and not you. What does that mean? It means that when you go and do an interview, you should ask questions that aren't stupid, like actually very good questions, and you should make the interviewer talk about themselves. They're going to like you more if they talk. So the rule is, by the way, that the interviewer should probably be doing upwards of 80% of the talking. And you need to get and you need to steer it towards topics that they like and that they're enthusiastic about. So if you see someone who's written 20, 20 articles about some obscure branch of securities, um, they're obviously very interested in it. And so you should understand why, what it is and then go in and get them to talk about it. 
Uh, people that go into interviews are appear willing and able to work. Um, they come across people who very much want to work. They are enthusiastic about work. Uh, they uh, are not um, asking a lot of questions, like being discriminated against. They see people as discriminated against having a bad attitude. Employers see them uh, as people uh, who will support them, meaning that person's going to come in and they're going to stick around and they're going to have the employers back. And, and by the way, uh, employers love uh, attorneys that have a lot of that stay at employers for a long time. So if you were at a firm and you were there for five years and you're looking for a new firm, you're going to get a much better reception in the market if after five years that's your third firm, because that means uh, you're loyal and you're going to stick around and the employer believes that. If you're not getting interviews and you're not getting offers after your interview, you're doing something wrong and you need to fix it. You can. We have interview workshops for as part of the, my webinar, so we do that. Um, it's funny, attorneys are always afraid to uh, talk about their career things in front of other attorneys, but, but that's okay. But you, you typically need to get um, interview coaching and read all you can and fix it. Um, there are professional interview coaches. Uh, most of them hire them before recruiters. It's a game many times. They live while you're random and they tell you this and that. But you need to get interview coaching. You need to see what you're doing wrong, the things that you're saying that are wrong in interviews. And a lot of people are bad interviewers and that holds them back. But just to rehash all this, if you're not getting interviews, jobs after you're interviewing, then there's a lot of stuff that you need to fix. Typically, just so you understand, the biggest problem I think that people have in interviews is they talk too much about themselves. Or they steer the topics towards things that the employers are like interested in. They, they talk about, they just over talk many times. They don't make eye contact. They don't seem enthusiastic about the position that they're interviewing for. They don't, they're not focused on the type of work that the person does. They say things that make, make it look like they're not going to get the interview. So you need to work on improving your interview skills if you're having problems. And you need to study articles that I've written. You need to study, there's not a lot of people writing about this stuff. Any webinars I've done that you need to understand what you're doing wrong and mark up those articles, read them, print them, staple them, and don't let this hold you back. You should go into an interview and that should be your opportunity to take a job, to get a job. It's a great opportunity. And there's one final thing I want to say because it's just so important. And that's when you go into an interview, one of the biggest things to understand is that employer actually wants to hire you. They desperately want to hire you. The reason is because they don't want to have to use all this attorney time to keep interviewing people. Like they don't like it. They, they just want to get this job done, get you in, make you a profit center and be over with it. But when you go in, if you don't get the job, then they're going to have to take extra time. So they really want to hire you when you get an interview. It's yours to lose. And you need to be very careful and learn everything you can to get a position. So this next one is, should you take a not job offer you're not happy with? So all the time, people get offers and they're not happy. Sometimes they go to law school and they think because they went to a top law school, they should be making a certain amount of money, get a certain type of job. And there's a lot of reasons to take jobs that you're not happy unhappy with. For example, you need the money, uh, you have a family to support, or you you just, you are you're unemployed, you're going to be unemployed, and this is all you got. Typically, by the way, if you're following my advice, meaning you have a good resume, you're applying to a lot of places, you're improving your interview skills, you're doing all these things, then you won't have a problem many times getting the best job you can, but uh, you you really do need to, to, if you get a job, think very seriously, because if you have a gap of unemployment on your resume, um, whether during law school, for example, you don't work in the summers in a firm, that's not good. 
you want to work in a firm um, or the, the when you, if you're unemployed as an attorney, like you lose your job. I see this all the time. I see every day, I see these great resumes of people that um, worked at great firms. Now they're suddenly unemployed. So if you have, and they've been unemployed for two or three months, the problem with any gap on your resume, and I don't want to be harsh because I know that there's people uh, here probably that have these gaps on their resume, but the problem uh, with a gap on your resume is that the, the, the conclusion that the employer is going to reach is that there's this gap on your resume because you were probably fired. That's what they think. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. If you weren't fired, then they say the person just couldn't get along and, and this is going to probably happen here. So this is the problem uh, with having a gap on the resume. Were me and I was practicing law, I would always, if I thought things were weird, be out there networking or even applying to places and trying to make sure that I always have a backup plan because this is serious. I mean, if you lose your job uh, and you have a gap, you need to really um, do what you can to try to not have that gap. I'm sorry to say it. I'm not trying to hurt people's feelings, uh, but it's very important. If I was at a big firm right now that's laying people off, I would be applying every single place I could if I thought I was next and protect my resume. So you know, there's nothing wrong, for example, having a child that is people do that all the time. There's nothing wrong with certain things, but the idea is if, you have, if you're having a child, you should be going back to the firm or you should at least tell them they have an offer. And then the problem with the gap, and again, I'm not trying to upset people, but I'm telling you how important it is to, to get a position is if you have unemployment gaps in your resume, this is going to show uh, employers that you have a lack of commitment uh, to practicing law. And I'm sorry, but um, that's how they think. Um, it'll show that you didn't do whatever you could to find a position um, if you need a job uh, and you couldn't represent yourself. So what does that mean? That means when you're looking for a job, you're like an attorney out there helping their client. If you're not doing a good job and finding a job, then you probably are, are not as good of an attorney as you can be because you're representing yourself. And if you can't represent yourself, meaning get yourself, represent yourself and take this person and help them just like you would a client and get them a job, that's a problem. And how can you be expected to hire to solve other people's problems if you can't even get a job when there's 30,000 law firms out there? Think about this. What's the problem? So you need to be in, or you may not take yourself seriously enough to do a good job. I'll just tell you a brief story. I worked once with an attorney that literally had never lost a case. And I worked for him and, and I worked almost exclusively with him for six or seven months. And, and while he would do it, he would just, he would turn over every single freaking stone uh, he could in a case. And, and he would look at the legislative record of how the law came into place. He would do all these things that no one in their right mind would ever do. He interviewed people that passed the laws and it, it just things that you wouldn't even believe. But he would always win. And, and this is the same thing with you. You have to win. The gap in your resume is not good. Firms will wonder why others are not hiring you. There must be something wrong with you. You must have done something wrong at your firm. People must not like you. You must have a, a problem that, that they don't know about. There's a lot of exceptions. But in, in most cases, attorneys with gaps on their resume had problems with their past employers. How do I know that's true? How do I know that attorneys that have these gaps on their resume are true. I'll tell you two quick stories. They're not, they're, I think they're pretty interesting stories, but I've hired at BCG. I used to, I, I talked to all the people that applied. I'd always see these candidates that were like, they'd been at a big firm and now there's a gap on their resume. And I talked talk to them and they say they were fired and they were fired and you don't tell you why. Um, and then I went ahead and um, hired a lot of them. Now this is, a few decades ago, but I hired five or six of them. And and all of them were became huge liabilities. They were 
not following instructions. They were doing things the wrong way. Some of them, most of a lot of them stole firm contacts out of my database instead of competing firms. Some of them decided to try to hurt my reputation and bad review. This is what happens. Like employers are nervous about that. So I'm not saying that everybody that loses a job has those problems. These are people that lost jobs during good economies where they should have been employed and they weren't getting jobs because of these gaps on their resume. So I ended up hiring them and they became problems. And I'm not saying that happens with everyone, uh, but I'm just saying that and it happened with most of them. The longer you have a gap on your resume, um, uh, the longer, the more it's going to hurt you. The other thing that's important is, and again, I'm telling you all this because I want you to just really do it really well when you're interviews. Employers want to believe that you need to work. That means uh, they love it when you have mortgages. They love it when you're married and supporting the family. They love it when you have all these expenses and student loans you need to pay. This People that need to work are likely to stick around. The employer is going to have more control and all this stuff. So families, houses, all these things mean that you are going to be basically dependent on the employer to pay all that. You're going to do the best job you can. If you have three kids to support, the last thing in the world you want to do is be unemployed. You're going to try harder and do a better job. The idea also is that once you start working as an attorney, the expectation is that you will never stop. Like you will never, ever stop. And I'm sorry, but that's just how it works. And everyone knows that. I remember when I was clerking and my clerkship ended and I had, I took a three month break to take the bar or study for the bar. Then, and then I took a, and then to go travel and do all this stuff. And, and I remember someone saying to me, a couple of people, you don't, you can't have this gap in your resume. And one of the guys that said it was a guy that was clerking for a, you know, a magistrate judge and had gone to like fourth year law school. And he said, that's the first thing they told us in law school is that you just never want to have a gap. And so even there, they made us, you need to be very careful with all this. And, and the other thing to think about with getting offers is the kind of saying in real estate, the first offer you get is often the best offer. It's in my experience, it's true. I bought a couple of properties where that my offer was the, where I made an offer that was lower than someone had already got an offer for and taken. One time I purchased a home for $300,000 less than the offer that it got when it first went in the market. And then it sat on the market for a year. And the longer something's on the market, the more people were suspicious of it. So why has this house been sitting in the market for six months? What's wrong with it? And that's how people think. Maybe it's not worth what they're asking. So I should offer less. This house I bought was actually, it's funny, it was right next to a bus stop. And they, and the, the, when the buses would stop, they would blow all this black smoke in the backyard. And, and then it was also across the street from a large hotel. So during the weekends, people would clog the road and th- there was no parking and people would park illegally. And then you could hear people on the bus stop talking when they were waiting for the bus. And the house had bizarre paintings and there was a, a healing, there was a, picture of a naked person. It was pretty funny. The, it was a 25-year-old cocaine-addicted woman that did it. And anyway, there was all these things that were bad about the house. And but So as each person looked at the house, they initially thought all this stuff was cool. They got the idea that it wasn't good. What's wrong with this house? What's And that's how people thought about this house. And that's why I got a better price. The funny thing is, I'll just tell you what happened to it. I bought the house and it was, and then and then the first new person moved in and painted over after I stayed there for a year. And then two years later, the house sold for three times what it was paid for. So it didn't end up being a thing. But the, the idea that I'm making here is that the longer you're on the market, uh, more people will question you. Your value is going to go down. People can offer you less money. 
And people are also going to be more nervous about pulling the trigger and hiring you. And they're going to question what's wrong with you for not being hired for such a long time. So how does that work? I'll just tell you some examples. Um, I'm going to tell you one example because I really want you to understand how important it is to try to get a job and accept an offer before you look unemployed. So what happens is the longer you're unemployed, the more employers have the ability to take advantage of you. I had an incredible thing happen. I had a firm that had a real estate open. And this is when interest rates were very high, like they are now. This is in the you know, early 2000s or maybe before then. And, and there were, real estate was not an active practice area. So I had a guy that had been a real estate partner at a large law firm that was unemployed and had been unemployed for six or seven months. And, and I sent him around to firms. This one firm called him and interviewed him. And he'd been used to making, I don't know, $350,000 a year at his firm. And this firm offered him a full-time job paying like $125,000 a year. And I was like, how is this even possible? Like, why would you make him such a low offer? It might even been like 100. I was like, you're paying him less than your first year associates. And they said, we know that we can pay him that because we know this is the best job you can get. Imagine when the person was unemployed. So this is, this is one of the reasons um, it's so hard, important to find a position. Now, there's reasons not to take uh, job offers you're unhappy with. When you take an offer you're unhappy with, uh, you're often going to become toxic to the employer. So you need to understand that. I see people all the time that take jobs that they don't like, that may be on locations they don't like, that or not where they want to be. And you often have one foot out the door. So if you take a job you're, you're unhappy with, you many times will resent that and you'll be angry and you're angry that you're not getting paid what you want and how much you should get. And you'll poison other people around you with a bad, a bad um, attitude. Uh, you'll have overall bad experience if you don't approach it in the right way. I used to all the time come across people in my job that applied to work with BCG and they'd gone to Harvard, Berkeley, Columbia, and all this sort of stuff. And literally maybe didn't have a summer associate job and then couldn't get positions after graduation. And then they applied to BCG to help me find a job like six months when nothing's happened. And in all cases, these firms are these candidates, and you may be one, had aspects that made them unattractive uh, to the sorts of firms that employed their peers. It's not enough to be smart. It's not enough to have gone to a good law school. And, and so what I would also often do with these people is I would think, God, this is horrible that this graduate, uh, this person of Columbia Law School that was a Harlan Fiststone scholar is sitting at home living with their parents with nothing to do. So I'd often bring these people in and start giving them legal work. I would give them things to do, and I wouldn't pay them that well. I'd pay them like maybe $40 an hour or something. But none of these people were happy. In almost all cases, they were resentful that I wasn't paying as much as law firms are paying. And in one example, I had a, someone working for me that had gone to Berkeley, but had graduated at some ridiculous age, like 19 or something. They'd gone to college at um, really good school like Harvard or something that graduated when they were literally like 16. They were just a co-off-the-chart smart person. So this person uh, was hired and couldn't get a job. They were recommended by uh, a rabbi that I knew and, and, uh, and they couldn't get a position. So I brought them in. And then after being there for six months, there was a big salary increase of all the major firms. And he was going around telling my HR director how comp poorly compensated he was. And he was very unhappy and started making demands that he should be paid more. He started not focusing. He started leaving early and doing the job poorly. He would talk to other people around that he was should be paid more. They went to this great law school. 
he would, was not committed. Uh, he would just not do a good job. So this is what happened. So what happened with him initially? So I gave him raises. I started paying him whatever the big firms were for his class year, like $150,000 a year. And he just basically then was like, okay, this job is a big firm. So then he started not committing again. And what happened is that when a market slowdown hit and the company didn't have as much money, he was the first one to go. So that's how it works. If you're, if you really negotiate hard for a really high salary uh, at some firms, you'll be the first one to go if you're not committing. It's, but I've made this mistake hiring people on numerous occasions. The same thing always happened. Same thing with recruiters. I had, I've hired a lot of recruiters that haven't been good hires. And then people will delay offer, accepting offers and so forth. And then when they start, they won't commit to the job. Uh, people that are uncommitted, uh, again, uh, this is just something that you need to understand will complain, undermine the employers and uh, be toxic. Again, if, somebody, if you want to be in another place, you just need to think about it. So I believe that uh, these are just some examples of people. I think I've given enough examples. Do you want to grow your legal career? A lateral move might be the right choice to get you on track for your career goals. Working with a legal placement firm like BCG Attorney Search can open doors for you and help you live the life you dream of. If you're looking for a new legal job, send us your resume so we can help. Visit www.bcgsearch.com and click on Submit Resume to be paired with one of our legal placement professionals who will work tirelessly on your behalf to get you your dream legal job. Submit your resume to www.bcgsearch.com to get started today. So many times I've made bad hiring decisions. The idea um, that I would just say is that in order to get a position, uh, you have to be many times very flexible. There's lots of jobs that you can find if you're willing to do them. But if you take a job that's beneath your skill set, meaning you don't have to work as a contract attorney, you don't have to work for a very low um, wage, you need to make sure that, that you're searching and using all the tools that I've given you and talked to you about so far. And if you take positions where you're unhappy and you're going to leave, that will make you negative and you don't want to be negative. You want to be very positive. And, and there's another saying that I think is very important about never rehiring other people. And so if someone, you leave an employer and then you want to go back, that's obviously not something that ever works out. And, and so you need to stop and think about that. And you don't take a job when you feel like you're unwilling to commit. You don't take a job when when you feel like you're going to be unhappy there and toxic. You don't pay a job if you feel like you're capable of getting a better job. You just shouldn't do that. You need to be very careful about where you go. You want to be positive and you want to basically appreciate the job that you get. And that's my best advice about that. You know, it's the same thing with relationships. People do this all the time with relationships. They get involved with people that they know they're never going to commit to. And that's not fair to you or the other person. This happens all the time. And again, you should not marry someone you don't love or someone who's going to give you or not give you what you want. You shouldn't stay in relationships with people that are never going to provide you with what you need. And it just doesn't help anyone. It's not going to help you. And another reason not to take a certain job is that it may communicate to future employers a direction of your career that's incompatible to where you want to go. One of the things I see a lot, and I'm not trying to you know, upset anybody um, on this uh, because it's important, but people will often take jobs in uh, practice areas where they may harm them in the future. They will take jobs at uh, firms that are doing a certain type of work that will put them in a, in a box in the future, or they'll take jobs with titles 
that they don't need to. Most attorneys do not need to work as contract attorneys. You can always find a job not being a contract attorney, being a permanent attorney. Most attorneys don't need to work in jobs in, in firms that are doing practice areas that they're not interested in. So if you don't want to do insurance defense, you want to do commercial litigation, you can find a firm that does that. You just, But once you do insurance defense, you're going to be blocked in that way. And then you have to really be careful about the jobs you take. So if you want to be a plaintiff's attorney, it's not a good idea to take a defense job. If you want to be if you want a permanent job in the future, you're going to be much better off not taking a contract job. So these, all these decisions are going to make a big difference in terms of your upper mobility. So you need to put yourself in, in the position working in the places where you really want to go. And what does that mean? That just means you need to have a vision, meaning you need to uh, really know what you want in your career. And you can't just, and, and this is one of the most important things anyone can tell you. If you don't have a vision, and know where you want to go, you're going to go where other people send you. And that's not good. If you are if you don't have a vision to know exactly what you want, you're going to go with other people. You're going to go in a, in a way that's not going to support you. Everyone that's successful knows where they want to go. So if you want to practice corporate M&A law at a big firm, and you have to start out at a small firm to do that, and you want to be a partner at a big firm, then you need to follow through on that vision. Because if you don't, you're just going to be where, you're going to just be where people other people put you. And you're not going to come across as someone that knows exactly what they want to do. So you need to have a vision. And that vision should shape the types of jobs that you take. Almost done with this. I think this is a very good webinar in terms of the, the topic and what we covered. But what I want to just make clear is uh, most people spend their lives and careers dabbling. And dabbling is the absolute worst thing to do. Dabbling means not committing to a job, not committing to a practice area, not committing to a, a practice setting not committing to a market and not committing to a person and not committing to an identity and not committing to a career. So this is very important. What does it mean to not commit? It means that you have no idea what you want. And because you have no idea what you want, you're just trying everything out. You're, you're doing all these different things. And dabbling is not knowing what you want to do, not having a direction for where you want to go do is one of the most significant errors that people make. And it's often most pronounced when choosing your practice area, choosing your practice setting and knowing where you're going to work. And when you get offers many times, you don't know why or don't, don't get offers at all, you're likely dabbling. Dabbling means you're, you're sending out a few applications here and there. Dabbling means your resume is focused on different things and isn't focused. Dabbling means you're not doing everything you possibly can to get your dream, meaning the job you want. And extremely important. And, and this is the number one cause of failure for attorneys. They dabble and don't commit. This is actually what most attorneys do. Almost everyone, they dabble. They don't have a vision. They don't have, they don't know what practice setting they want to be in. They don't have a conclusion about what they want to do. They don't have any of that. And they, and therefore they're dabblers. What is the opposite of a dabbler? I just want to um, point this out. Every firm that I worked in, I was able to work with very successful attorneys, people that were definitely making seven figures, like multiples, like me, several, and this is years ago. And, and certainly I didn't work with all of them, but I worked with most of them. What did they do? They had like, all of them like had these form files, like these, you know, these form, these cabinets full of like articles and things that they thought were important, things that they'd read and they were numbered and organized. Some of them had binders where they talked about where all the stuff was because they knew that they wanted to be a litigator. They knew that 
they wanted to be an expert in something and they knew, and this is what people do. This is what the best people do. They keep notes of things. They read everything. They, they go to conferences about it. They, they just focus, they focus and they become successful. So if you don't focus, what's going to happen is you're going to be in a position where other people are taking these kind of jobs. Um, other people are telling you what to do. You're clueless with your resume and you're going all over the place. You may go in-house. You don't know what you're going to do. And you're dabbling and not committed. And this is what you need to stop doing. You need to stop doing it with your resume. You need to stop doing it with your job search. You need to stop doing it with the number of places you apply. You need to stop doing it with trying to work in different practice settings if you can't commit. You need to stop doing it with practice areas. You need to stop doing it with moving around. Like you're, in, you're a litigator and you're in fifth year, you just had to go in-house and take a government job for a few years. These are dabblers. And dabblers, by the way, nothing good ever happens to dabblers. They, they, they don't get jobs. They don't get, they don't get, when they do get jobs, they don't get promoted. They, if you're a contract attorney, you kind of work in all these different places. You're not committing on what you want to do. And if you're not committed, people will just take advantage of you. Uh, that's how it works. If you show up in the city and you don't know what you want to do, you'll get a bad job. Think about it. People come over and they don't have any, you, you don't, you, you go someplace just as a human, not as a you know, regular person, and you don't know what you want to do, you won't get a good job. Would you rather work as a waitress or would you rather work as a, a highly skilled something that knows exactly what how they want to do? Is it better to be an emergency room nurse than it is to be a waitress? You have to have some sort of focus. And people that have focuses do incredibly well. They do well in legal stuff. They do well in all other professions. It's absolutely incredible what a focus will do. And, and if you have a focus, people are going to, when you know what you want to do and you're not dabbling, you're going to rise to the top. Everybody does. Everybody that has a focus rises to the top. They absolutely rise to the top because those are the kind of people that employers want. Those are the type of people that, that clients want. And, and most of the time, you're not getting a job you're actually dabbling, and that's the problem. The fault's with you, and you need to fix what you can and realize that being focused, knowing what you want, taking the action of what you want, and doing what it, what you need to do is really what you need to do to succeed. This is it, having a focus and knowing what you want. You want to work in a certain type of practice area, and you want to, and you have experience in it, and you, you want to get a job, you're going to apply every place you can. You're focused. You know what you want to do. So this is really the biggest piece of advice that I can give you. But I think that once you do this, it changes everything. It changes the direction of your life. When you're focused, clients want you, employers want you, employers want to keep you, employers want to advance you, and you become something as opposed to nothing. So this is what most people do in their, their profession. They don't focus, they're not, they don't know what they want to do. They think like a, a worker and not an owner, meaning, you, you think like someone that's just getting work and you have to gossip, it's not the right words and you can do this and that. And um, instead of being like a champion and a leader, and that's really the key to success. So I'm gonna take a quick break, just for a minute or two. And then when I come back, I'll answer questions. That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you are an attorney looking for a change, head on to bcgsearch.com.